Let's pray. Father God, we gather before you now and we, we bring with us all the things of our lives. All the hardships, all, all the difficulties, all the challenges, Lord. And I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to recognize those things, not to, not to live in some kind of strange denial, Lord, but, but not to let those things keep us from what's important. Lord God, we lay these things all at your feet as we worship you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Life is full of distractions, isn't it? We all know what, what our objectives are, our, our main goals, but, but so often there's things that get in the way, challenges. We become distracted and caught up in those distractions. The good things and the bad things. Now let's look at another example from real life. You go to school, right? And you know your objective at school is to go to class, to learn, to gain knowledge, to earn a degree so that you can then use those things at a job in the future, right? And as you're going to school, there's the social life. You want to be connected to other people. And then there's, there's boys or there's girls, right? The one in the front row to the left, right? You have to work to pay for school. There's family. There's good stuff and bad stuff. And here you are so far away and you can't be there for the good stuff. And how do you deal with the bad stuff when it comes? Temptations. You're so far away. You're finally free from parents. You're finally free from being responsible to a church family every, time, every week, right? And it's easy to allow these distractions to take us away from the goal. The classes, the, the homework is neglected, the grades drop. If you haven't lived this, you probably know somebody who has. At least you probably understand the struggle because in the same way, we know our objective as Christians, don't we? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What is it? We are to bear witness to the world, to the person and works of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Testifying to what he has done in our own lives, maturing in our walk with him and encouraging and building up the body of Christ as we do it. And we've been going through this week after week for a year now. Has it become dull to our ears? Has even that become its own kind of distraction. But this is the goal to which God has called us in his word. To share Christ. To share the gospel. To bear witness. But in the midst of this goal, here in this fallen world, there are, there are people and things that try to take our eyes off of the gospel. To distract us from the gospel's primacy. It's, it's first importance in our own lives, and its value and its necessity for the eternal life of everybody around us. Satan and the world do not want us to strive to reach this goal. Satan and the world do not want to see revival in the church. They don't want to see people following Christ. You can see it as the world devises new ways to take the Ten Commandments out of public buildings and, and crosses out of graveyards and 
whatever. They don't want anything to do with Christ. Which means that we need to use every tool that we have to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep the gospel and that call of God upon our life the first thing. Constantly asking ourselves, how can, how can this distraction, how can this hardship or this opportunity serve the gospel in my life in order to maintain our, our gospel perspective and call, in order to guard the gospel? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 16. Go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. Luke says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain had gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No! Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. In this passage today, we see Paul and Silas delivering the gospel, don't we? And as they do so, they are surrounded by distractions, things that try to take their eyes off of that gospel task that they were going about. In this passage, we see distractions, simple distractions, hardships that they endure, and even opportunities that come their way. And Paul does not allow any of these distractions, hardships, or opportunities to take him away from his gospel call. But instead, he, he uses them. He, he turns them around and uses them to put the gospel on display for everyone around him to see and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verses 16 to 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, over and over and over, just saying this. Paul became annoyed, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. We all have things that distract us, don't we? We get hungry. Anybody hungry now? We have aches. We have pains. We all have these these phones. I don't have mine on me right now, but we all have these phones that are smarter than we are, huh? I read an article this week that was a really good reminder of the distractions around us today. Uh, In the article, the author said, the average attention span has dropped from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to just 8.25 seconds in 2015. That's a 30% drop in 15 years. I lost you guys a long time ago, right? (laughs) And he says, it's a little wonder since an American on social media receives 54,000 words and 443 minutes of video every day. Then add the distraction of what Chicago pastor Aaron Damiani calls the outrage du jour. Damiani says, every month there's a new outrage demanding my attention. One of my biggest distractions is the urge to address every one of them right now. Have you ever been distracted? Have you ever started to like say something and it's important and you want to get it out there and somebody else starts to talk over you? And by the time everything comes back around, you have the opportunity to finish what you were saying, you go, I can't even remember what I was saying. You lost your place. We're easily distracted, aren't we? Maybe more so today than ever before. And so we need to be on our guard for the sake of the gospel. Here we have Paul and Silas preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the most important thing they could be doing. And we see a slave girl who is distracting them and everyone around them. She is distracting Paul from the proclamation of the gospel, and she's distracting other people from listening to him, from hearing what he's trying to tell them. And maybe she is speaking a truth. What she says is not wrong, is it? They are sent from the Most High God. They are proclaiming salvation. 
but her timing and, and the fact that this statement, this statement of truth is coming from a demonic spirit that Paul probably would rather not be associated with. I, think about it. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons preach Jesus Christ, don't they? But it's not the, the Jesus of Scripture, is it? Well, whatever the case may be with this girl and what was going on exactly at that point, Paul becomes greatly annoyed, doesn't he? Because she's getting in the way of the gospel. So how does Paul handle this? Instead of getting carried away by what she's doing, he takes this distraction and uses it for the gospel. He uses the distraction to remind everyone there of the power of the name of Jesus Christ, putting that message on display for everyone to see in verse 18, it says, she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to the, and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Jesus Christ, the power of his name, right there. Taking a distraction and using it so that people can see Christ in him. What is distracting you? What is distracting you from moving forward in your walk with Christ? From, from carrying out your one, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 call to bear witness to the person and works of Christ to the ends of the earth. Is it your comfort zone? We all get real comfortable, don't we? And then it's really hard to step outside of that. And allow God to work in our lives. It's distracting almost. It's like having your seat in the pew. And if you can't have your seat in the pew that you always sit in week after week, it's really hard to sit anywhere else and not be distracted, right? Because that's your comfort zone. I know exactly how you feel. If, if the bells are up here playing and I can't sit right there, I don't know where to sit, right? But it's okay. I need to find a way to let God use that in my life for his gospel. Let somebody else sit there. Welcome to the church. We're glad you're here. Take my seat. It's not even mine. It's God's. Is it an unmet expectation? I'll start doing this, Lord, when you do that in my life. Is that the distraction? Is it a temptation? Something that's taking precedence over God and his gospel call in your life? Is it a person or, or an activity that takes up all of your time, keeping you from spending that time in God's word, keeping you from meditating on it, keeping you from taking opportunities to share Christ with the people around you? We have got to find ways to distinguish our distractions, to discern what they are, and ways to, to put them aside, to turn actively turn away from them and turn towards Christ. Literally, to, to repent of those distractions, to turn away from them and allow God to be our greatest distraction. Ways to use those things for the glory of God in our lives as we, as we turn away from them and turn to the value of the gospel. When the distractions come, and, and they will come, won't they? 
We need to take time. Set time aside to pray. Be with God in his word. To not let the distraction take precedence in our lives. And I know we've all heard that a thousand times. We need to spend time in God's word. We've got to do devotionals. How many of us can say, I do that every single day? Solid, 100%. Most of us can say, not regularly, huh? Those, those distractions, they come in, they get me. The next time a distraction comes into your life, recognize it. See what it is and turn to. Don't just, don't just turn away from that distraction to another distraction, but turn from the distraction to the glory of God. Start speaking the things of God. Start meditating on the things of God. Go to his word. Spend time with him that he would become the premier, most important thing in your life. Him and his gospel call. Take time to think about what's going on in your life. Put the phone down. Put it all in perspective. Turn off the TV and the radio. Let's not let them take us away from what's really important. So in the next section in our passage here, Paul and Silas go from from a simple distraction of this girl just yelling over and over again what they were doing there to actually enduring trials, going through hardship. Verses 19 through 25, it says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders they would be beaten with rods when they had inflicted many blows upon them, threw them into prison, ordering the jail to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. It's convicting to think that my version of hardship is nothing like what Paul and Silas have endured right here in this brief time that they've had in Philippi. They've gone through false accusations. Judaism was not unlawful in the Roman world. It was actually a religio licita, a legal religion in the Roman Empire. And here they were in a Roman province, Philippi, where, if anything, they should have been protected. And as Luke has argued throughout the book of Acts, Christianity is simply a continuation of Judaism. It's a fulfillment of God's own word. And so, after the false accusations, then what happens? They get a severe beating, clothes torn off, inflicted with many blows, without a trial, and apparently without even the opportunity to open their mouths and appeal to their citizenship at this point in time. And then after that, finally, they're thrown into prison, and the jailkeeper, he puts them in stocks, and these stocks were a, they weren't chains that you could like wander around your cell, right? I'm uncomfortable, let me cross my legs, right? No, this was a, a metal bar, and it was designed just for your discomfort. Uh, cramps, muscle spasms. These are all the things that they were going through in this brief time 
And in the midst of all this, what do they say? I know what I'll do. I will pray to God and I will sing hymns of joy. What? Why would you do this? What, what's, what's going on here? A light shines brighter in the dark than it does in the light, doesn't it? If I were to light a candle right here with all the lights on, you probably wouldn't even notice it. But if we shut down the lights, if we blacked out all the windows and then I lit a candle, you'd go, there it is. Because a light shines brighter in the dark. Because the hardship is an even greater opportunity for the gospel to be put on display in their lives. Unless you're in solitary confinement, there's always somebody out there watching you. There's always somebody waiting to see how will you react in this situation. Does your soil, your sphere of influence lives, the people you know, your friends, your family, your classmates, your co-workers, do they know that you are a Christian? If they don't, they should, right? And, that, and then the trials of our lives, as, as they see us go through these things, they will watch. And then the trials of our lives will put on display for them what we really care about. The trials of our lives will show people the real value of the gospel in our lives. Or not. As Paul and Silas endure this trial with hope and joy, we can see the results of, of having such a different attitude. That joy in the midst of hardship, that joy in the midst of trial, it causes those around them to deeply consider what this message is that they've been hearing from then. What is this salvation that you've been talking about? Because if you can act like this, if you can have this kind of heart and mind under this amount of pressure... I need what you have. Given freedom, we see that the prisoners stay in their cells, don't they? These are people that probably deserve to be there. And they stayed right there because they saw something in Paul and Silas, that light that shined in the darkness. We see the jailer having heard something of their message before, because when he comes in, brings them out, he says, what must I do to be saved? Because now he saw where the rubber met the road, and he saw that they had a real joy and a real hope in the midst of adversity. It was right there for him to see. Because Paul and Silas used this hardship, this trial, for the sake of the gospel. James chapter 1. Reminds us to count it all joy. My brothers, my sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. How these men endured this trial, 
became convincing evidence of their faith in Jesus Christ. As, as instead of letting the trial take them away from Jesus, they used the hardship as an opportunity to, to display the gospel in a very tangible way for others to see. What trials are you enduring right now? What are you going through? Are, are they taking you away from the gospel? Are, are they causing you to leave the, the scripture on your bedside table collecting dust? Are, are, are your trials removing you from Christ, or are they drawing you near to him? Are they taking you away from your walk with Christ? Or are you prepared to take those trials by the hand and use them for God's greatest glory in your life? Christian, let's think about how deeply do we know how great a salvation we have been given in Jesus Christ. His precious blood spent for us to be reconciled to God. Does that still strike us? Does that still sometimes bring us to our knees when we're praying before God and just thanking him? Does it bring about the realization of just how important our walk with Christ is? How much do we value the hope of our resurrection? So much so that, that, uh, that it will affect our lives in this way that we will be able and willing to look at the hardship and say, that's nothing. That cancer, it is nothing but an opportunity for me to put Christ on display for everybody who knows that I have it. Whatever it might be. I'm not saying that the trials are all fun and games and we should just smile like idiots. They're called hardships for a reason. They are hard. But in view of what Christ Jesus has done for me, am I willing to give more value to Christ than I do to the trial? Am I willing to take the hardship and make it into hope on display? Guarding the gospel through the tribulation, even using that trial to share Christ. So what happens next to them? They go from the, the simple distraction to the outright hardship, and now to an opportunity. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. 
God gives us all kinds of good things, doesn't he? I think here in America, we're probably more spoiled than most of the world. We get all kinds of good things. And here in our passage, he gives Paul and Silas freedom. All those things they had just endured, they were set free. Doors open, bonds off. Miraculously, obviously, this was the hand of God, right? When God gives us good things, when he gives us opportunities in our lives, what's our first reaction? Well, as good Christians, we thank God, right? Thank you, Father, for giving this to me. And then we pretty much jump in right away with both feet, right into that opportunity, and we run with it. Thanks, God. Right? I've done my Christian duty. I have saluted God, and now the opportunity becomes the greatest distraction for me from the things of God. I let the the opportunity carry me away from what's really important. How often do we stop and think, how can this best be used in my life? How can I use this opportunity for, for, the sake of, for the greatest glory of God and for the sake of the lives of those around me? What will be the greatest use of this opportunity? Because don't forget that just as we jump in with both feet into that opportunity, Satan's right there with us saying, come on, let's go. He jumps right in with us. I can't say for certain. It's not written here. But I would venture to say that there was one word that Satan whispered into their ears as God gave them these open doors and the stocks come off. Run. Wouldn't that be tempting? After being beaten, the bruises from the stalks on your feet, undeservedly, run. They could have. God opened the doors. This was his doing, right? But Paul and Silas take an ever so brief moment to consider how are my actions right now in the midst of this opportunity going to affect everyone else around me and how they see Christ in me? How is this going to serve the gospel in my life? The jailer is going to kill himself. If they run, he, he better kill himself because Rome would come up with far better ways to kill him. What is the best use for this, for the sake of the gospel? When God gives us opportunities, is the opportunity there for me? Because that's what this life's all about, right? Me. Or, Or is the opportunity there for the gospel message that I've been given to carry? Perhaps sometimes not taking advantage of the opportunity is the best choice. 
what is this life really about? Is it about stuff and, and success? Sometimes God will give us those things. He will give us stuff and success so that we can then better carry out the gospel that he's given us to carry. God's greatest glory is always for our greatest good. If I am always serving God's greatest glory, it will always be for my greatest good, even if it means a loss in this life. Because he's given me a hope in the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, something greater than anything I can ever receive here on this earth. And he's given us promise of that in Jesus' resurrection. Life eternal. And his greatest glory will be found in how we live out that gospel so that others can see Christ in us. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing. Nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul and Silas use the distractions for the glory of God. They, they use the hardships for the sake of the gospel. And now even, even the opportunities that they've been given to guard, protect, and pass on that which had been entrusted to them. Verses 35 to 40. They have one more tool in their toolbox here. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. The jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No! Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and then they departed. They had the Roman citizenship. They had a tool in their toolbox still to use. And they use it to lend legitimacy to the message that they had been preaching and to protect what was now a young, fledgling church in a hostile environment. If these people had done this to Paul and Silas, surely they'd be coming for the rest of the church next. How was Paul going to protect 
this church as they knew they were going to be asked to leave the city if they were released at all. They might have been able to use this Roman citizenship to get out of jail sooner. But they kept it as a tool, knowing that they could use it for the sake of the gospel. By making these magistrates apologize publicly, Paul and Silas take the upper hand. They now have power over the magistrates in the city. What what the people in leadership had done to them was actually the illegal event. Because Judaism is protected by Roman law. It is a legal religion. Because these men were Roman citizens. These magistrates could have been removed from office and never able, disqualified from any kind of further civil service. They'd have to go back to farming. Who wants that after you've been a great magistrate over a great city in a Roman province? By using their citizenship in this way, Paul and Silas put a certain level of protection, at least for now, over this church. Over, over themselves as they leave. Because with everybody in town seeing the magistrates come and, and offer them an apology and humble themselves before Paul and Silas, everybody in the city would go, wow, okay, don't touch those guys. And it gave them the opportunity to go back to the church, to give them some sage advice, to encourage them, to build them up. protecting themselves and this church in their absence. They used what they had, everything they were, to protect the gospel and point people towards Christ. Are we living lives of gospel guardianship? Are are we, as those who have been saved from our sinful condition, those who now understand the gravity of what we faced and the joy and hope of what has been given to us in Christ Jesus, uh, those who are here to fill the gap, right, To, to serve that gospel mission, are we willing and desirous to put the gospel first in our lives, in every situation, above the distractions, the hardships, and even the opportunities in our lives? In every situation God allows and every opportunity that God brings, asking, how can I use this for the gospel? Are we ready to recognize that that this is what God's word actually calls us to, to put the gospel first? Are, Are we looking at all the tools in our toolbox, all the gifts, the talents, the abilities we have, and thinking, how can I use this for my Acts 1 8 call? When you go home today, I'm going to give you a little homework. Because yes, the Christian life should go beyond an hour on Sunday morning. Make a list. Put four headings. Distractions, hardships, opportunities, and tools. Distractions, hardships, opportunities, and tools. And consider each one of those as you write down what the distractions are in your life. What hardships are there? What opportunities do you have coming? What tools, what gifts do you have? How can I use this? Who could benefit from this in my life? How can I turn this around for God's glory? Will I benefit? 
Will I benefit God and his gospel kingdom? Or am I just waiting to hear that, that whisper of the prowling lion as he says, run? As he tries to use the same distractions, trials, opportunities, and gifts to get our attention on ourselves and off of the Christ who died for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. His side pierced with a spear. His blood shed for us. Where our blood should be shed. The death he died, the death we should die. And he did it so that we could have eternal life. He did it so that we could be reconciled to God. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word given to us that reminds us of, of keeping the main thing the main thing. You, your call upon our lives. Help us to reflect Paul and Silas as they prayed, as they sang songs of joy in the midst of trial, as they refused the distractions and they turned to give glory to you. Lord, as they used every gift, every talent, every opportunity for your greatest glory, I pray that we would do those same things in our own lives, that we would not give way to the world, to, to our self-centeredness, to Satan, to the prince of the power of the air. Would you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, empower us and keep us Christ-centered, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this table you've given us to remember what you've done for us, the value of your sacrifice on the cross in our place. We give this time to you in his name. Amen.